0: I'll be reading from Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the strains rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Hearing and practicing. For you and I, that might seem like two different things. It might be that we hear Jesus saying in this final parable in the Sermon on the Mount, as Matthew stacks it together and I am certain that Jesus preached these lessons many times in many places, and, and and it would be surprising to me if this wasn't often the way he ended it. It's very common for him to start teachings with, He who has ears, let him hear. Well, it would be appropriate for him to end teachings with this little parable. Matthew places it here. And we, in our society, and We can go back a number of years. We might even be able to go back the better part of 2,000 years because this is kind of a theme in Western thinking. That what our mind does and what our body does doesn't have to be on the same tune with each other. That there is a division between what the spirit is and what the body is doing. But for Jesus for his way of thinking, for a way of thinking that is based on the way God has been involved in his relationship with his people for thousands of years before Jesus ever got there. Jesus says, the one who hears and does these things, the one who hears and practices these things, and for Matthew, quoting Jesus, it isn't two different things. You hear it and understand it and then you do it. For Matthew... Relating what Jesus said, it's a repetition. It's an emphasis. You can't hear God, truly hear God, unless it goes through the entire process of being processed it as a sound wave, to developing meaning in our brains, to move through our soul would be the way that God would talk about it and love the Lord with all your heart and soul, through your heart and soul and out into your actions. That isn't complete. You haven't heard until it makes its way into action. So it's not about two separate things. It's about exactly the same thing. The idea of building a house on rock or building a house on sand, for us in 21st century times... We oftentimes see this parable from the perspective of an individual house owner. I build my house. And we sing the little song, so build your life, right, on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see it as kind of an individual thing. But when Jesus said it and the people who lived at that time and when they would have heard a foolish man and a wise man built a house, it's not just a single person. It was never a single person. And it wouldn't have just been a single family unit, mother, father, children that lived in a house. A house was full full of multiple generations. Might even be full of aunts and uncles, grandparents and great-grandparents, and lots of people in this house. So when the foolish man builds the house for his community on sand, it has way more repercussions Than the idea of me individually being foolish and I get washed away. We're looking for people who hear and do, because we're looking for people who lead in a way that carries others along with them. Amen? So I'm continuing to ask the question, and it's critical that you're thinking about it where do you lead? i like the statement, and I, I affirm it again, we all lead in one way or another. In your different settings, you have the opportunity to, believe, to lead. You may say, wait a minute, I'm the low man on the podium pole. I'm just getting minimum wage, and, and nobody... Well, guess what? You may, in Jesus' mind, have a better opportunity to lead than the guy whose office says CEO. Because you're leading... From a place of humility and lowliness, you have the opportunity to lead. And the question, of course, always comes back, how do you lead? Last week, I talked about the way Haley steps up and leads with that smile of hers and and just this spirit of of no guile whatsoever in her. And I am inspired by that and I am blessed by that. Today, I want to go to the other end of the spectrum. We haven't seen her in a while. At least not here in the building, but Nell Brown. Nell Brown has led her whole life in the quietest and most simple of spirits, amen? She would never have to have a label that said, I'm the leader to be leading. I love the way that she and Owen created this new family together. And again, two people who, who probably, between the two of them, they, they didn't want to be in charge of anything. Except Owen did want to be corner of the market on growing earthworms. If you didn't know, that was a, a thing that he had for a while there in his retirement. He was growing earthworms to sell to fishermen. Um, I got to go out and see the whole operation at one point. Very interesting process. But, but they really didn't. And, and by the way, if your goal in life, your great aspiration is to corner the mar- market on earthgrown, earthworm growing, you're still kind of in that sense of, I don't have to be in charge of a whole lot of things. What in the world do earthworms do if you tell them now you behave in there, right? But I love the way that she has led in this transition of her life into these last years. I see so many that struggle so much with the fact that their bodies aren't letting them live independently and we fight against it so much and she opened her arms to it and said, I'm going to set an example. I'm going to move myself, not because my children tell me I have to, because I've fa- fallen and broken my hip. I'm just going to choose to change my living scenario. I can't keep track of all the yard work that needs to be done, so I'm going to go where there's not yard work. I need some people to kind of help me along in different ways. We lead at every stage in life. We lead in more ways than we can possibly count. And I am thankful for the way I see leadership coming forth. In a multitude of ways, from everyone that I encounter in this congregation. Jesus, we're going back to last week. Jesus proclaims, I'm the good shepherd. And when he says that, we Went into detail. He is expressing a lot of things that reach back into the prophets. It's interesting that there's one prophet who we believe for sure was a shepherd, and he doesn't use the language of God shepherding his people in his book at all. It seems that Amos is so mad at the rich people and getting them straightened out that he doesn't even talk about the other, but he won't use that language. But, for instance, Jeremiah 3.15... God speaking through Jeremiah, I will give you, and it's interesting, it's not just a shepherd, but I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. And this is contradictory to the people that Jeremiah saw leading at that time. He said, God's going to form something new so that you'll be led well. I'm the good shepherd, Jesus says, and it reaches back to the way that God had been Israel's people And he says, I am the culmination of that. So, in reality, as opposed to just saying, I'm the good shepherd, he might have said, I'm the great shepherd. Or as 1 Peter chapter 5 will say, if you're in Bible class with us, he is the chief shepherd. In addition, last week we looked at the idea that for Jesus to be the good shepherd, he needed to know the Father, and the Father needed to know him. And that that relationship of intimacy existed between the two of them. And as we point towards our own leadership, we have to recognize the idea that I know Jesus and Jesus knows me. And it's very important, that idea of being known. And we spoke last week about the idea of how love is the the fruit that grows up out of the seeds of knowing God and being known by him. In addition, before his statement about the Good Shepherd, about being the Good Shepherd is done, we reach down to verses 17 and 18, and they say this. For this reason, the Father loves me. I thought the Father loved you just because you were, and yes. But the Father's love for me is overwhelming because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down and have power to take it up again. And then it's interesting, this last statement. I have received this command from the Father. God said, Jesus, I'm going to send you down. Son, I'm going to send you down. I'm going to incarnate you. I'm going to have you come out of a womb of a woman. You're going to live with them. You're going to be completely swallowed up in their humanity. But it is never going to be the last word on you. Because you will also always be part of me. And I will know you from the time you have born. And you will come to know me more and more all along as you grow. But I need you to do one thing. This almost sounds a little bit like the garden. We can harken back to that. He, he blessed Adam and Eve and put them in the garden and said, I want you to tend the garden. I want you to make what I've created the best it can be by tending the garden. And he said, but I need you to be sure you don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. One thing I need you to do. And he said to Jesus, and I think to a certain extent this is how much God trusts Jesus, is I know you're not going to go off on your own. I know you're not going to listen to the devil when he says, let's go be a military political leader. You're not going to be the guy who goes off and becomes a a sideshow of miracles. He knows he's not going to do those things, but he says, but this I need you to know. The way it is translated here is I'm commanding you that you're going to have to lay down your life. If you're going to follow My commands, if you're going to obey me, you're going to have to lay down your life. It's interesting the way he's just phrased the previous statement. It isn't that I'm going to put you in a situation where people are going to take your life. And John particularly lands heavy with both feet on this idea. That Jesus is growing to the cross is not because the Jews generated enough political clout. It's not because the Romans' power was unassailable. It is because Jesus said, I'm going to the cross. And it's not going to be a short trip. It's going to be a long trip. I am going to the cross where I am going to die. And he did this because he was following The instructions of the Father. Do you notice the way Psalm 23 words it? The Lord is my shepherd and I have everything I need. But the next two phrases are really kind of interesting. Three phrases in reality. He is going to tell me where the green pastures are. And the image we get here, he makes me lie down in green pastures. There were times that the shepherds literally had to take their stick, their shepherd's hook, and kind of whack them on the Achilles because they wanted to just kind of keep milling around. He said, no, this is where we're bedding down tonight, and they'd whack them. Here, lead me beside still waters. Here is where we're getting a drink. He refreshes my soul, and then he leads me in his good paths. Here's where we're going today, guys. And just with Jesus, I'm going to lead you to green pastures. I'm going to lead you to people, your disciples, and and maybe more than the 12, I'm going to lead you to a group of women who are going to surround you and care for you, very careful kinds of ways. They're going to bless you. I'm going to lead you to, to the calm waters, going to take you up on a mountain and and show you Moses and Elijah. And, and, and glorify you in the way that you will be glorified in the future. But I'm also going to lead you in my right ways. And those ways will be to the cross. Do you know Psalm 23? He leads me in his good paths. And where does that path immediately go? To the valley of the darkest shadow. The valley of the shadow of death. Jesus follows the Father. Jesus obeys the Father. And if we're going to be looking for what leadership looks like that Jesus points us towards, it's not going to be a leadership that only knows. It's going to be a leadership that follows the great shepherd. Good leaders are called who follow the great shepherd again they will be people who not only hear his word but they will put it into action that it will not get disconnected somewhere in their brain yes i know all the answers i've got parts of my bible memorized i can tell you all the ten commandments i can quote to you the beatitudes which we'll come to in just a minute but i don't know how to make it a reality. Leaders must be that way because a leader is building a house for more than themselves. The wisdom of the leader will either give us all a house or those who you have influence on, a house that will lead to prosperity and withstanding the storms of life. Or I'll be the kind of leader who isn't hearing and doing, I'll be the kind of leader that when people follow me, they get swept away. There's a contrast that I want to point out very quickly. And I want to admit up front, there is no way that this is absolute kind of teaching. But I'm, I'm pointing to a broad general trend. There are two sources that we're going to look to and say, Okay, what does following Jesus look like? What does following God through Jesus look like? And our source is, one, the gospel, the best source of all. Somebody say amen. We want to see and hear what Jesus has to say. But the other is, and and I'm so thankful, that as God's plan came together, he not only preserved for us those four gospels, but he chose to preserve the writings of the apostles in the forms of letters to churches. You need to understand that those two things are written in two different contexts. Jesus' ministry happens in Judea. Jesus' ministry happens almost completely, not totally, almost completely among Jewish people. Jewish people who could say they know who Jehovah is and they know what the law is. And their life may not be completely in sync with who God is and what his law is, but they know what it is and, for the most part, their path. We could even go so far as to say their societal context kind of leads them in kind of paths that follow Jesus, okay? Jesus is walking in those paths. The other place, the letters, come from a context out in, out in the Gentile world. And if you spoke those phrases to folks in Jerusalem about the time that Jesus would have been living, they would have all kind of... Drawing their breath. Because that's dangerous stuff out there. Those people are wild and crazy. First of all, they don't know who Jehovah is. And because they don't know who Jehovah is, they don't know what his law is. And they don't know how to live. What they think is normal is absolutely insidious. What they think is good leads to the worst kind of brokenness. What they hold up as desirable as far as a lifestyle is concerned is completely antithetical to the God who created them saying, here is a plan for how you live. So when we read Jesus, yes, we will find ethical teachings. It's there. But the ethics that Jesus tends to teach are almost almost always based on the idea that you've got a group of people among you and they're called Pharisees. And they see themselves as the most righteous people they are. But I want you to know, and he will say it just a little bit later in chapter 5, your righteousness must be greater than the Pharisees. And if I lived in Galilee at the time that Jesus said that, I would have been taken back because there was nobody more righteous than the Pharisees unless what they were being right about is making themselves right a self-righteousness Rather than a, the first line here, a poor in spirit righteousness that recognizes that there will never be any righteousness in myself unless it's God's righteousness. Amen? The idea of a humble heart. The idea of a gentleness. The idea that expressed itself in the way that Jesus seemed to find. It's just incredible the way Jesus is walking down a street And it isn't the mayor that comes up. It's not the most popular person. It's not the latest movie star. It's the lowliest people that nobody else would even recognize. A leper who comes up to him and he decides to touch. A woman who's been ostracized from every relationship in her life because of a bleeding problem. And he wants to turn around her and find her in the crowd. That's a different kind of righteousness than what the Pharisees were pointing towards. And when we read the Gospels, yes, don't commit adultery. But he'll go a little further, won't he? I don't want you to even have adulterous eyes for the opposite sex. But mostly what Jesus does is says your heart has to be tuned in a different way than the legalistic, Self-righteous oriented obedience of the people that lead you. I'm the new good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd who knows the Father and the Father knows me. I'm the good shepherd who's be, who has been to this point and will be completely obedient to Father. See what it looks like to find your righteousness in God, not in yourself. When we skip to the other column... Am I doing this the right way? Yes, it's backwards for me. Uh, If we skip to the other column, we start talking to Paul. Paul is out there among the Gentiles. And when Paul wants to talk about following Jesus, yes, he has plenty of language that says, you need to know that you can't be righteous of your own. You need a righteousness that comes from God through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? But he is extremely clear and particularly pointed in the way that he approaches How do you understand what following Jesus is about in this situation? This situation is going to require you to do some very difficult things in your society because you are going to look weird and different if you do these things. You're going to look like somebody who doesn't believe that might makes right the way the Roman Empire has always taught you that might makes right. Instead, you're going to control yourselves. You're going to be generous with people. You're going to do some things that are very specific about your ethical life. Now, he would be very quick to point out, getting all that right doesn't make you righteous. Following Jesus makes you righteous. Same message as Jesus, but he's talking in a very different kind of situation. But I think we have to look at it in our day and time, and particularly as people of the church People who have heard the word of God our whole lives. We have to recognize that if we're going to follow Jesus, it can be diverted in two different ways. It can be diverted the way the Pharisees were diverted. And that is thinking that righteousness is of ourself and because I'm good enough. But we live in a world that real quickly will tell you it's okay to be sexually promiscuous. It's okay to experiment with whatever kind of drugs that you want to experiment with. It's okay. Because it's just following your own conscience or something crazy like that. But I love them so much. Good. If you really love them, you might wait on those things. You see, we're caught in both. And so I think we have to wrestle with both. I want to highlight two passages particularly. The first is from Matthew chapter 12. At that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Does that sound like a good Pharisee thing to say? And guess what? They were right. Except they didn't know the whole picture. They didn't know God, they knew the law. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and the companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priest. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath day, on Sabbath duty in the temple, desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? If you don't understand what that means, is the priests on Sabbath are working in the temple. They are doing manual labor. Some of it really sweaty manual labor. Having the wood for the sacrifices, doing what it took to slaughter the animals that needed to be slaughtered. They were working on the Sabbath. And what's the law? To rest on the Sabbath. And yet are innocent. I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. We might interpret that for the Pharisee. There is something greater than the Mosaic law here. If you had known what these words mean. Now see, it's interesting because they're quoting the Bible when they say, don't go through that grain field and do that, aren't they? But he said, but you need to know what these words mean. I desire mercy, not sacrifice you would have not condemned the innocent. So she, Jesus has a way. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. To follow Jesus is to not only know the law, but to know the creator of the law, to know the Father. And to look on people with a sense of the law was not created to put a, a burden on man, but the law, the word of God, God's instruction was created to lift men up. And Jesus knew because he knew God. But what he did was not only know that, he followed that and obeyed that and made it a reality in his own ministry. And it's just so powerful the way. You know, I just want to be sure and point this out. The disciples knew that it was wrong to work on the Sabbath. And yet because they were with Jesus, they realized something greater than the Sabbath, something greater than the temple was at work. I don't know that Jesus gave them permission to walk through the game fields and reap. But they were living in a way that reflected Jesus' understanding of, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Jesus speaks in Matthew 12. I want to take us real quickly to 1 Timothy 3. It's a passage that as we began the process of discerning elders, you said, ah, I know where we're going to be preaching, and it's taken us three weeks to land here. I hope I've built good foundations. Because when Paul starts talking about leading well, he will talk about things like this. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, invite, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of the church's family? That sounds like very different language than Jesus, doesn't it? Jesus wants to talk about, is your heart centered on sacrifice or is your heart centered on mercy? Jesus wants to talk about, are you centered in being poor in spirit or being proud in spirit? Paul says, no, you know what, we need to be sure that everybody understands what's meant by those things that Jesus would say. He will even say something very similar. I want you to be gentle, which is about being merciful, and things like that. But Paul puts out a very different kind of list. We're not going to spend a lot of time on detailing it here. But the idea of following Jesus has to include having the right heart, but it must also include the idea that I am going to understand in my context what the ethical way of living is, and I am going to engage in that To the greatest degree that I can, not because I can do it myself, but because I have received the forgiveness of Jesus and been filled with the Holy Spirit to transform my life. Amen? Following Jesus must always be about the right heart. Following Jesus must always be about obedience to God's instructions in our context. And that's why Paul makes sure that they understand leaders need to live ethically. In fact, they not only need to live ethically, they need to live a bar above just basic ethics. Because they're not just building a house for themselves. They're building a house for a community. Two applications, the ways that I want to summarize this. The fruits of following the good shepherd. First of all, the fruit is when we see righteous living that reflects knowing God as much as knowing the law. Not only do we know the words of the law, the calling of God to an ethical, moral life, but we know the God and who he is, the God who spoke them and who he is, that give that life and breath we need to follow the law but not in the sense of here's a set of things that i need to check the ticks on it is the idea that i know god and god is not gonna lie and so i don't want to be a liar and god is faithful so i don't want to be unfaithful god opens his arm to everyone and so i want to be hospitable and i'm going to find ways That when I live righteously, people don't say just, Ah, he is so righteous. But say, he must know God. And he must be aware of who God's son is. Because his righteous living points us to Jesus. Second fruit. Righteous living that reflects knowing God as much as knowing the law. And righteous living that manifests God's love for mercy and justice. See, I can either lead in a way that lifts myself up by pushing other people down. Or I can lead in a way that sees the people around me and does my best to lift them. As high as I can lift them. And when I can't lift anymore, I pray to God. So that another leader will come along and lift them even more. I want mercy and justice to be seen in every action in my life. I want to stand up for those who can't stand up for themselves. I want to hear the cry of those who don't have a voice to make it to CNN or Fox News. Or the Houston Chronicle. I want to find those people and see how God would want me to help them. I don't want my activity to be something that brings attention to myself. But it points to a God who's full of love and mercy. Maybe as much as anything, I want to recognize how much I need God's mercy for me. And pass on to others at least that same mercy. Micah chapter 6. We'll say it this way. The prophet Micah summarizes. He has shown you, O mortal humankind, what is good. And what does the law require of you? I hope that you've memorized this. This needs to come to your heart on a regular basis. To act justly. To love mercy. And to walk in pride and arrogance with your God. To walk humbly with your God. Do you lead in a way that people ask what's different about you? Can they tell that for you it's not about power and status and other kind of selfish goals? Do they see your methods of, of being a leader as about laying down your life rather than your own horn and do they recognize you as somebody to come to when the one thing they need is not to be told what they're doing wrong but to receive mercy as we comfort them and help them and help them to leave the brokenness behind and point towards better things. This is nowhere more true than our process of identifying and discerning our elders, and I hope that your heart is being shaped and formed in the way that you look at the men of this congregation as we look for those leaders. And the last question today is, are you walking with your God? Are you walking humbly with your God? There's only one way to walk with God, and that's through Jesus. It's the only way that you can be in relationship with Him and have it reach the fullness that he wants it to have. If you need to, to converse with that about that with somebody, I really encourage you. The members of your family are a great place to start, but you're also welcome to ask almost anyone here. And if they are not ready for that kind of conversation, they'll point you to somebody who is. And it may well be even that you want to come forward and say to the whole congregation, not only who's here, but those people who are online, I need help to walk with my God. It might even be that today is the day that you want to start the journey in earnest by putting him on in baptism. If anything that we can help you with to be a people who walk humbly with your God, you're welcome to come forward. If you're online, there's a number there. You can send us a message. I promise you somebody will reply to that message. Where are our hearts? Are they with God? There is... No more important question in your life than that question. Why don't you come as we stand and sing? Sweetly Lord, we have heard the God.